Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder Heart Podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me is Tim Foss Jr. and Mickey Turner. Uh, today is what, March 10th? Apparently. Day day six of the Seattle coronavirus epidemic. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, that's kind of the that's kind of the theme these days is what's going on with coronavirus, but uh, we will kind of approach that and deal with that in a, in a broad spectrum. But um, yeah, we may as well just go ahead and start here. The Sounders are coming off a, I, I think you would call it a disappointing 1-1 tie with the crew. I thought the Sounders were uh, played well, uh, well enough to win at least. Uh, they were not as dangerous as they were the week earlier against the Chicago fire, but they created plenty of chances. Uh, various uh, expected goals models had them at probably about two goals worth of chances. Uh, they didn't give up a ton of shots to the crew, but uh, the five shots that the crew generated were dangerous enough that a goal for them is, is certainly fair. And their one goal was uh, the kind of thing that if you allow to happen, just not make it stop. That said, uh, let's just start with you uh, on this point, Tim. What did you think of Saturday's game? It, I mean, coming away from that game with a draw is definitely disappointing. Uh, for whatever reason, it seems like maybe especially at home, games against Columbus always are frustrating. Um, it maybe especially so with Caleb Porter in charge now. Uh, I... Yeah, the goal that they gave up, you know, you can make as many jokes as you want about Giassi Zardes and his first touch or whatever, but especially if you give him good service and let him sort of sneak in at the back post unmarked, he's going to score a goal. And if you leave a player basically unmarked to put in a cross, they're probably going to put in a good one. Um it was a good – now, to credit to Luis Diaz, now, I think we could probably both find plenty of fault in the defending as a whole on that, on that goal. Uh, probably the top of the list, Jovan Jones not really closing down the space on Luis Diaz really at all. But that's – you know, I, I've watched the replay quite a few times, and that is a pretty much perfect cross. Yeah, I mean, he puts it right where, like, only Giassi is going to get to it, even if – Giassi was marked better, probably still is the only one who gets there. Even if a defender gets there, it's going to be really tough to do anything with it other than put it in the goal. Uh, the way that it's bent around the defense and outside of where Fry could get it, I mean, it really is. Like, you do have to give credit to the cross and the finish. Um, I think that the frustrating thing is that you know, the Sounders didn't look bad. They definitely created their chances. They easily could have had at least one more goal. Um, I think kind of frustrating. We all, after the first game, wanted to see Rui Diaz get more involved. And the team and Raul certainly wanted to get him more involved during that Columbus game, uh, which he got his goal. That's great. Um, hopefully that sort of gets him rolling, but kind of made some ill-advised choices 
over the course of the game to get there uh, where, you know, there was one in particular where maybe he could have given the ball to Christian inside the box and gotten a better chance and then they got out of it. But I think, you know, looking back on this game in a month or two, if they open the season without Gustav in the first game, no Nico in either of the first two games and they have four points to start the season. And if they're able to get things rolling, I don't think we'll be able to be too upset about this one. Uh, but it is a little frustrating in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, um, uh, Mickey. Yeah. So what I would say is I wasn't able to watch the game. I was in East or central Washington uh, attending a dance with about uh 60 dads and 60 daughters. Um, but before the game, I had kind of two, two things I was, I was thinking. Number one is that Columbus is, is a good team this year. Uh, they were certainly down coming off the Save the Crew stuff uh, from last year and just didn't have the personnel really to, to compete. This year they've you know, remade and added a bunch of good pieces. Zellerian obviously was, was their big uh, high money signing. Uh, they got Adi for a song. And then, you know, Zardes for, as Tim says, for all of his faults is a good striker and does score a lot of goals. And so without having Nico in the lineup and with the, with the team still kind of uh, in flux as far as, you know, getting new pieces integrated, I, I thought it was going to be a tie. So when I looked up the score, I was not surprised to see the result. And the other thing you know, Tim also talked about is just Rui Diaz and kind of his play. Uh, you know, Smetzer said after uh, – maybe it was after the, uh, the Chicago game or at least during training that he said Rui Diaz misses Nico and the bond that they kind of had developed um, since he's been there. And I think that has a lot to do with his quote-unquote early, early struggles. Um, but, as, again, as Tim said, if you would have given me a draw, I would not have complained. Um, going into this game, give, given what we know about the current construction of the team, uh, this is a, a a crew team that I think is you know especially with Atlanta now not having their best player and arguably the best player in the league uh, this side of Carlos Vela. Uh, I think Columbus is a team that's going to compete for the top of the East. So uh, all that considered, just based on what I thought I saw going into this game, it was not a particularly surprising result. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's a fair way of putting it. Like, if you had, you know, laid out all 17 home games and you had told me the crew game is going to be a tie, I don't think I would be upset about it. But it did feel like a game in the moment that the Sounders could have gotten a little bit more out of. Uh, you know, the big play that I think maybe there, – or there's two plays that maybe come back and haunt the Sounders. One is Miguel Ibarra's offside goal. Uh, two games, two goals disallowed by VAR, which – I am a proponent of VAR. I think they got the call right. Uh, they, VAR also got a call right uh, to allow Rui Diaz to retake his penalty. It giveth, it taketh, it taketh away, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. But I do wish, like, Ibarra probably could have held his run essentially a step sooner. And that ball that Morris put into him is such a good – I don't think I fully appreciated how good of a, a ball it was uh, live. But he really – he cuts out four defenders. Yeah, he starts, out, he starts out on the on the near sideline. He dribbles into the middle of the pitch, and the and he just is able to kind of give this like little slight outside of the boot pass, uh, right? Perfectly weighted for a bar to run into, uh, perfectly placed to, uh, like I said, cut out four defenders. It's it's soft enough for the goalkeeper to not really have any ability to come out on it. 
And Ibarra had a nice finish. I would like to think that that gives Ibarra confidence after the first game where he had several chances that, that he probably should have uh, done better on and he, and he didn't. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe there's some, there's some encouraging signs there that, that uh, you know, they generated all these chances that wasn't even one of them. Um, and then the, the, other, the other one that I think that maybe haunts them a little bit is, and I wasn't totally sure what the call on the field was, but Jordan Morris had a look at a header in, I want to say, the 93rd minute where he's just coming in basically unmarked from the far, uh, the far post. Harry Ship puts in a cross, finds Morris, and Morris just hits this thing wide. Uh, that's one where it, it looked like the, the AR's flag was up, and it looked like the goalkeeper took an indirect kick, which would all indicate that he was offside. More on the replay, though, that I saw, Morris definitely wasn't offside. I don't know if maybe Ship was maybe offside on the, on the entry pass, but um, it's those little moments where you feel like, ah, you know, like, let's see if we can clean this up a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, the Sounders, you know, I was looking at, you know, say what you will about expected goals and all those kinds of models. But the Sounders are like two goals better than anyone else in terms of chance generation. And the thing that I'm really liking about that is that historically, they've not been able to do that without Nico Ladero. When, when Ladero's not on the field, they have a real hard time creating chances. And through two weeks, they've created, you know, enough chances for about seven goals. Granted, they only have three, which is, you know, maybe a little concerning. But, I mean, that's, that's positive, right? That they're, that they're creating chances, and they're not giving up a ton of chances on the other side. Uh, their, their goal difference, their expected goal difference is also uh, the best in the league at, like, 2.0. Um, so, you know, both of those, are, I think, are pretty encouraging signs going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, and it seems like the defensive side of things should really only improve as Jamar gets more sort of comfortable with the guys around him. Svensson being back makes that all the better as he, you know, relieves some of the pressure on the center backs and Fry. Um, and yeah, I think if they can even as a sub get Ladero back against the Dynamo, um, I think, you know, Jordan clearly is at a place where he can just about dominate a game almost on his own. Uh, Joao Paulo is super fun to watch. They just have so many offensive tools um it just is going to be even better once Ladero's back yeah and I think they want to get uh Christian out of the out of the 10 position where I believe he played in this game Smetzer said after training today that that's just not his best position he can do it but uh, you know if you've got the choice between where he can play and he can play a lot of places uh the 10 is probably the least of which uh the least of those and so getting Ladero back allows them uh, to get Jao Paulo or keep him in his preferred position. And, you know, they wanted to pair him with Gustav because that's going to be the long-term pairing. So you can understand why they didn't move Jao Paulo up in this game. Uh, if Lodero isn't available for Houston, uh, then you would think that they would probably get Jao Paulo back up a line because that seems to be more uh, effective. And then you can put Christian back on the wing. Um, and so, 
it's just one of those things where they're just not a complete attacking team yet. And once they get Ladero back there, you kind of, you, you see what they want to do and it just will allow them to be, I think, even more dangerous and dynamic. And of course, Ladero is a pretty good finisher on his own as well. And uh, yeah, it's just, you're just kind of just waiting at this point for Ladero to get back. But it's promising that they're able to create so much um, in the way of dangerous chances, even without him there. So you mentioned uh, Ladero. This seems like a good place to, to maybe bring this up. Uh, you were at training today, Mickey, uh, and it sounds like Ladero is all in at training. I know last week he was training, but it was not quite he, – he didn't show up in the 18. It wasn't quite all in. What is the status on Ladero, and how far off are we looking at him from uh, maybe being fully back? Yeah, he is super close. Uh, at- and, and Jeremy, I think you were at a couple of training sessions last week, and Ladero was in most of the trainings, but then when they would go do some scrimmages or full field uh, exercises, then he would be off to the side. Today, he was full in on everything, and today's practice was long. Uh, they didn't get out of there until about one o'clock, um, which is you know just really long uh, and just really late for what they usually do. They're usually starting at about 10.30. Yeah, that means they must have been out on the field for over two hours then. Yeah, it was just under two hours because they were out a little late. But for uh, for you know the purposes of what we're talking about, Ladera was out there for all of it and involved in all of it. So uh, we asked uh, Spencer about that after training, and it seems like this week he he should be back if he gets through the week of training when there are no setbacks. Now, whether he starts or not is another issue. Uh, you know, it is a, is a road trip in Houston, although obviously for uh, Sounders benefit, this is a, a, an early March game as opposed to a, a mid-July game in Houston. So it's about as perfect uh, time to be in Houston as there is, if there is such a, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Um, and so I think it's, the Spencer said that as long as he makes it through and the trainers and the doctors are okay, um, he will be available for selection this uh, this uh, Saturday. And, you know, they're practicing tomorrow, obviously, Wednesday and Thursday before they take off for Houston. They'll train in market in Houston on Friday and then the game Saturday. So they still have, uh, you know, several training sessions uh, before the uh, final decision is made. Unfortunately, they'll be out of town, so we can't we won't really have any hints as to which way they're leaning as far as that's concerned. We'll have to wait for the uh, the game notes, which li- usually lists the injury report. But it looked he looked good today and was full in, so those are obviously excellent signs. But uh, you know, we'll know more later in the week as far as whether he's actually going to be to be a factor in the game. But I would say at this point, it looks good for him to play some role, even if it's not a starting one. Yeah, and so Gustav Svensson was back this week. He was – it looked like – like they've kind of been saying that Svensson was a little ahead of Ladero, and he yeah. started uh, his first game back, ended up playing 69 minutes, I believe, uh, which was more than I think they had planned on him playing, and he looked spent at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he came into the, the press conference uh, at the end of the game, and he just looked like he had gone through – gone through it a little bit but he I thought he was good I thought he uh you know he was up to his his normal kind of uh switches and uh he wasn't maybe quite as as mobile as as we had seen him uh in MLS Cup for instance but he you know he was I think this kind of gets to the point of they're getting close to being fully together and and ready to go um there was also some news today that uh that some of the 
World Cup qualifiers that are coming up in um, in Comable are maybe canceled or pushed back. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, the centers are off during that week anyway, but Peru and Ecuador are both scheduled to play and, and Uruguay, but it doesn't look like Ladero was called up anyway. But uh, it looks like uh, Rui Diaz and Ariaga might not be included or not might not have any uh, national team duty to worry about right now, which is, you know, maybe good, good news on that front. Yeah, I think that would – it sounds like it might impact the Dallas game, at least one way, one way or the other, as far as when they leave and stuff. Uh, but, you know, obviously for the Sounders' purposes, uh, that would be a benefit because that means that they're, they're sticking around for that game. Right. Um, and especially with Dallas set to lose a few players for Olympic qualifying, um, including Paxson Palmacall, who, you know, ha- was pretty dangerous in his games against the Sounders. So – um, that's obviously getting a bit ahead of things, considering where where the status of uh, the coronavirus is. But yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So who knows what's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks? So it's it's a bit dangerous pro- prognosticating more than a week out at this point, even a couple of days out is. Uh, yeah, out. you know, and so you you bring that up, and last week was a pretty surreal experience in terms of being on the Sounders beat and being in Seattle, where it it seems like we've kind of become ground zero or. Uh, sort of the canary in the coal mine for coronavirus in the United States. Um, And, you know, I remember there were some stories before the fire game about like, oh, is there going to be, is the game going to be canceled? Which I thought at the time were kind of out there and it wasn't even really on my radar as to uh, anything that could possibly happen, at least not at that time. But last week it was looking pretty, uh, within the realm, I would say well within the realm of possibility that the game last week was going to be postponed. Uh, I never got any indication and it seems like it's kind of a last resort that MLS is thinking about playing games behind closed doors. I suppose that really only becomes something that they would consider if it's like they just are running out of dates to potentially move games to. Um, They still have a little little bit of wiggle room. Like a team like the Sounders has a handful of weekends off that are for um, that they had for international dates that I suppose, you know, in a situation like this, they could play through. And uh, so my suspicion is that if they have to impact games, it's going to be to postpone them rather than to uh, certainly like canceling, I would think would be the absolute last resort. Although that's maybe what they're thinking about having to do in, in Italy. But um and so who knows what, what ends up coming. But it was a surreal week of coverage last week because there was this sense of, well, are they going to play? What, you know, uh, you know the, the, the county and state and city were kind of coming up with different uh, guidelines. I know early in the week there was uh, a statement from Governor Jay Inslee where he said that they are urging people to stay away from large gatherings. And 33, you know, 40,000 people at a at CenturyLink Field seemed like it was a pretty <laughs> large gathering. And, uh, and But they were very much stopping short of saying to cancel this stuff. But we did see a bunch of events canceled around town, uh, most notably uh, Emerald City Comic Con. Um, but they ended up playing. Uh, they ended up changing their exchange policy so that you could exchange your tickets basically right up until, I think, up until game time almost. Um, they were being really lenient usually you have to do that three days before um i actually reached out on friday about changing my tickets and 
Uh, and then I heard back Saturday afternoon, basically saying like, we got your message, but we're not going to be able to do anything about it right now. And then I got called on Monday saying like, yeah, we can, we can make this change. But what they, my ticket rep told me was that between the end of business on Friday and before the open of business on Saturday. So, you know, I don't know, maybe 12 hours or 14 hours, something like that, that they uh, were closed. They had something like 400 requests just in that little time frame. I have no idea how many exchange requests they fielded altogether. But um, I was fully expecting there to be kind of a skeleton crowd at the game. Like I just got the sense from, you know, social media and whatever else that people were staying away, you know, in pretty big numbers. And, you know, I went down to the field to kind of get a sense of what the atmosphere was feeling like. I look around the stands and it was, I mean, 10 minutes before kickoff, it was just empty. Like, you know, there was like, you know, like a couple thousand fans maybe in their seats and it's never full then, but it's not like that. And then amazingly, as you know, the players are coming out and it's like, Oh, there's actually a decent crowd here. And then by the time, like within five minutes of kickoff, like it, of the game kicking off, it like, it was barely noticeable that the crowd was smaller. Like it was, you know, sure, there were some sections that were sparsely populated, but like sections, like the section that's right in front of the press box, which is 131, which happens to be where my seats are, I look down on it, and oftentimes that is kind of sparsely filled for whatever reason. And it was pretty much packed. Um, I don't know where you, I know Mickey wasn't there. Tim, were you in the stands for that game? No, I watched on TV, and it actually, I mean, very similar to what you're saying as they were like doing pregame stuff on tv or you know as the players were coming out um it looked a little empty uh but it definitely once the game was going it didn't look bad on tv um definitely it was 30 some thousand yeah 33,080 or something which is granted the smallest announced crowd since 2009 but like if you take it like one of the I, I was never able to confirm this but my suspicion is like if you cut out Seattle and uh and Atlanta from the record books that's probably like a top 20 or 30 attendance in league history yeah, yeah. Like, there's just not that many stadiums in the league that hold 30,000 people. Um, and there was, like, and I would say, like, maybe 33,000 was fluffed up a little bit. A little? But it wasn't – I don't think it was an out, outrageous exaggeration or anything. Um, it's yeah. more, uh, you know, going forward, I – you know, again, I wasn't at the game, obviously. Um, but from all reports, it was, it was a good-sized crowd. So, it, it's hardly – you know, to be, uh, it's not ex- unexpected. You know, the Sounders obviously have one of the biggest fan bases in the league and uh, one of the most dedicated. And given where things were at coming into the weekend, uh, as far as the coronavirus is concerned, uh, I think most people uh, were willing to take their chances. Now, whether that yeah, uh, itself going forward is, is quite another issue. Uh, the Sounders are uh, away this weekend in Houston and then they come back. Uh, for Dallas and so we'll see where things are at that at this point because as you've noted things are accelerating as far as closures are concerned uh San Jose earthquake Santa Clara County I think has uh, announced that there's uh you know 
as far as closed door events, no more than a thousand people can be there. Um, uh, Ohio, the governor just has closed indoor events, I think, as well. And so, you know, again, in another week or so, we may be talking about, you know, cancellations or postponements. Uh, I think you're right that uh, cancellations are the last resort for MLS. They will try to reschedule if at all possible because this is a league that relies heavily on its gate for revenue because the TV deal isn't where uh, it is in other sports uh, like you know, baseball, who frequently has poorly attended games, but they have such a great TV deal uh, in their local markets that you can get away with a 10,000, uh, you know, 10,000 attendance or even less, uh, you know, the MLS obviously cannot get away with that um, at this point. So uh, again, we're still, I think in early days of this. And so, you know, talk to me in a couple of weeks and we'll see where, uh, if, the, if we're talking about uh, attending games or playing behind closed doors or, or postponing. Yeah, so one of the early measures that they've already taken, and I guess went into effect essentially today, maybe? Um, I guess they would. So what they did on, on Saturday is they made it optional for teams to allow the press into the locker room. And then yesterday there was a joint statement put out by MLS, uh, Major League Baseball, I think, the NHL and the NBA. I guess the NFL wasn't involved because they aren't in yeah, season. Yeah. Uh, but they basically put out this joint statement saying that uh, we're going to restrict access to our locker rooms to uh, essential personnel, meaning the press is not uh, going to be there and they're going to kind of set up press conferences essentially kind of like they did at the Sounders game on Saturday. And maybe a little bit surprisingly today at training, you were welcomed by an, something we've never seen before. Can you kind of put into words what, what the scene at training was today? Yeah, well, uh, there was a – for anyone who's ever been down at training at Starfire, uh, the, the actual training area is typically closed to non-press um, and non-personnel. That doesn't mean you can't watch it from the, uh, from the fenced-off area. You can still get a good view of training. Uh, but if you want to go actually inside and, and watch training and talk to, to talk to players and do interviews, uh, you've got to be uh, accredited. Uh, now you're still able to do interviews. They're still having interviews done, but the uh, interview area is now barriered uh, with a you know with a metal gate, I guess for lack of a better word, which it, it doesn't prevent you from seeing or doing or doing anything or not interviewing. It just creates basically a cone of about five feet between your uh, the media and the personnel that are being interviewed so again it doesn't affect our job in any appreciable way and i'm not sure it, it does anything to prevent the spread of of uh, potential diseases or viruses but there is a, a corona cone i guess of about five feet uh between you uh, the media and and the personnel so uh, yeah, and I've been I've been listening to some of the uh, you know the responses to you know the locker room closures and uh, just the kind of general uh, issues or complaints that have been raised by some of the media. Uh, Paul Tenorio and Caitlin Murray have raised some of this, and you know I guess we we've been a bit spoiled here in in Washington um, in Seattle with the Sounders being so uh, so good generally speaking with providing access, whether it be in the locker room or in training every day. I know there's many MLS teams that don't have trainings open to 
the press every day, or it's like you get 15 minutes to watch the training. Um, and so I think, I think the complaint, it, it was a little surprising to me to see the kind of the, the ball, you know, I guess the, not the hostility, but just uh, how, how those complaints were raised by the national media, because here locally, we just don't have those issues. And I guess it's just a reminder that there are media access issues that go on in places outside of Seattle. Uh, I just thought it was interesting listening to some of the complaints that were uh, raised by some of the national media about access. And I guess it's also on the heels of people like Chicharito and Carlos Vela also just blowing off press sessions, um, you know, high profile players who, you know, presumably were brought in in part to grow the league and provide more publicity. Yeah. And I, I would say, I'd, I, I think that's, that's a keen observation that, a lot of the frustration is not necessarily at this isolated decision, which yeah. is to say for a couple weeks or a month or whatever, we're going to not allow you into the locker room as much as it's this concern over a slippery slope kind of thing where, okay, so today it's because of coronavirus, but what happens in a month when the coronavirus situation is hopefully uh, abated and maybe you just decide that's not how we're going to grant access anymore. And so in Seattle, I don't think that's a thing I'm super concerned about. I feel like the Sounders have been really good about granting access. And I think they uh, see it as a symbiotic relationship. They see the benefits yeah. of doing that. And that's really what this is about. This is about not the press having access as much as it is fans having access to this stuff through the press. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the Sounders, the Sounders voice. Right. And that's, and that's very much the way that the kind of the Sounders look at it. And, um, and, but I guess in other markets, I can see how maybe that's not the case. And a lot of journalists are worried that the teams will use this as an excuse to basically just cut the press out and to turn everything into in-house media. And, um, and those are legitimate concerns. And I'm not going to sit here and, uh, and complain about it. But I'll also say that I've heard this from a few people that, well, if we just go, what's, what's really the problem with just going to, to like mixed zone style access and that just being the standard? I think that's a horrible idea. I think that that's going to inherently hurt the quality of the, of the work that's coming out of covering these teams. I think especially in a league like MLS where they are really dying for media coverage, it's a yes. bad idea. Um, but Tim, I thought you had some interesting observations on that point. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, in conversations that I've had with, like, Mark Kastner and I particularly had a conversation, real number of people who, like, the number of people who, for their full-time job, are able to cover MLS or soccer in the United States more broadly is so small, um, just the types of jobs that other people have, or if you work a full-time job, most people who are covering the sport here and particularly this league are going to be limited in how, like what sorts of opportunities they have to cover the team. There are lots of people who can't leave their job in the middle of the day to go to training, can't necessarily make it to other outside events so you know those particular sorts of 
locker room access is so essential for good quality coverage where sure if they make a handful of players available during a press conference or in a mixed zone you're going to get some of that same coverage but just the you know the dynamic with the various journalists and reporters in those spaces is different than in the locker room and when choose the three guys who are going to be available for interviews that drastically limits the types of stories because you know maybe Christian Jordan and Raul or Christian Jordan and Nico or Steph like the group that is going to be involved is much more limited than having access to potentially the entire team and um, I think fans especially want to be able to hear from the of the team there's lots of interesting stories within that based on both you know sort of interest stories as far as like where players are coming from the experience of how they got to where they are now so just development and the different players see the game differently so you can get a different tactical tactical understanding from talking to different guys um i yeah just think that like the the idea that losing locker room access or the particular one-on-one opportunities is fine because there's still other opportunities to interview players just really one limits the types of coverage but also is really unfair and exclusionary to the people who aren't able to just write about soccer a hundred percent of the time and pay their bills as a result of it. Yeah, and again, I don't think this is an issue that we necessarily have to worry about here in Seattle, uh, given that the Sounders' philosophy is generally to have more press access. Uh, you know, it helps them out, as as Jeremiah said, um, it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, and I, I think they're just generally disposed to try to work with the press uh, because they understand the what the press is about and, and the necessity to have, uh, you know, a number of outlets out there um, to, to write about them and hold them accountable when it's, when it's necessary as well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not really here for those people who, have, who are here just saying, well, you can get it elsewhere. Um, you know, there's, you know, in this new press media world where it's not all about the print media, um, there's, there's room for everybody and we shouldn't be excluding uh, you know, people in that way. Yeah. I mean, the number of people, the number of teams that have full dedicated beat writers who are showing up or have the capacity to show up to training virtually every day is pretty small. Um, you know, I, I, I work in soccer media full time. I can't go out to training every, every day because my full-time job is not, is not this. Uh, Mickey obviously is not, uh, is, is a lawyer full time and that he's able to go to training as much as he is, is great but you, you, it's not your full-time job, uh, you know, and everyone else is like descending from them. Even Jada, uh, Jada, Jada is, Jada is, uh, a full-time writer for the times, but that's not her whole job is not just covering the Sounders. So she can't even be at training. I mean, it's like, and, and Seattle, I would say has better coverage of the Sounders than virtually any other market. Atlanta maybe being, the exception to that. maybe Atlanta, 
Right. And like, there's just not that many teams in the United States that have full dedicated beat writers by that being like their only job. Um, so it's just not a, it's just not a thing that um, I, and I, and I think that most MLS teams are, are cognizant of that. Although um, amazingly, some, not all of them are. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the other big element that kind of got buried and I think probably much to the pleasure of the Sounders was uh, this whole streaming, <laughs> which um, I had a, you know, I had some, I had some, I don't know, maybe heated. So I think it's heated is unfair, but I had some elevated conversations with the Sounders about this because I had been told that they were fully intending to have, if not a partner announced in time for the game on Saturday, they were at least planning on making the game available via streaming. And as it, as it turned out, it was not available for streaming. Basically, if you did not get a Joe TV, either through your cable provider or you were in their, in their uh, coverage area, uh, you could not watch the game unless you were out of state, of course. Uh, but like, because the Sounders have this kind of right now, this weird uh, media market where they have all of Washington and I guess Alaska maybe as well. Uh, they have that considered as part of their media market, but they can't actually reach their whole media market right now. Everything east of the Cascades for sure is outside of their current broadcast range. And so those, uh, the folks out there have to rely on, like last year, the last two years, or last year at least, they were able to get YouTube TV, which was an expensive but a reasonable solution, I think, for for getting those games but for yesterday's game it wasn't available i i guess i'm imagining for this week's game it's also not going to be available barring some announcement that if it's coming i don't know about it um but it does sound like there is some like silver lining to all this and and i've been told uh through various sources that amazon is going to be the the streaming or they're expecting amazon at least to be the streaming partner that I don't have a lot of details on that, but assuming it's through Prime, that's probably a pretty much perfect solution, I would think, for most Sounders fans. Uh, not only because Prime is is pretty inexpensive, uh, all things considered, but it's also a service that, like, seemingly everyone in Seattle already has. Uh, so it, it potentially is a good solution, but um, I was fully expecting this to be, like, like, what I likened it to was the level of anger you get on a six game losing streak or something like that. Like people I thought were going to be really upset. And I, there are a hundred percent people justifiably very upset, but the Sounders also told me they didn't like receive any phone calls about it. And maybe that's because people are just self-aware to know that, well, complaining about like using my time to call and complain about streaming when uh, we're also worried about coronavirus is maybe not the best thing in the world, but uh I don't know. I guess there wasn't, and and I would say that even in in the Sounder Heart thread where we were talking about it, there wasn't the level of anger and vitriol that I frankly was expecting. Yeah. So a couple of things uh, on this. I was yeah, hearing the same things obviously that you are, Jeremiah, about uh, who they eventually partner up with. Um, and yeah, we were on this story, uh, you and I, uh, you know, pretty much all uh, all all week. Uh, waiting for them to make the announcement. And then it became clear that they weren't going to have an announcement for a streaming partner. And then it was about when are they going to make the announcement that, you know, there's not going to be any access to people in uh, Eastern and Central Washington uh, for this game. And I was also a little bit surprised about uh, the lack of anger in 
in this. And I think that can also definitely be attributed to coronavirus as well. And, you know, again, most of the people in the Sounders fan base are able or were able to watch the game. That shouldn't be understated because most of the Sounders fan base, as you can uh, imagine, is in the Seattle area. And you were either at the game or able to watch it through Root TV. Um, and, yeah, the fact that there's not – the fact that Amazon looks like it's going to be the, the partner is, I think, the best of uh, any uh, – best of all worlds, really, as far as a solution. And, you know, everyone has Prime, essentially – and if you don't, it's a reasonably inexpensive way to go. And there are other other benefits to the Prime membership as well. Um, not to not to shill for Amazon uh, or Prime here, um, but the you know they are now looking at having at least a couple of additional weeks where they're not going to have a local streaming deal in place while they get wait for uh, Amazon, presumably to finish up. So, uh, you know, what I was hearing is that, you know, they, they're asking the fan base that, that yeah, there's going to be a little short-term pain for some of you outside of the Seattle uh, market area. Um, but the long-term benefits will be great in that you will have a dedicated streaming partner, uh, reliable, uh, popular, uh, easily accessible uh, for a, a significant period of time. Uh, you know, we're, you know, the deal, it looks like it's going to go for at least a couple of years while they figure out the at-large or the global MLS, you know, TV slash streaming deals that are scheduled to come up here at the end of 2022. Um, and so that's that's another issue, which we can probably get into at a later date. But at least for the next couple of years, assuming Amazon goes through, you've got a dedicated, reliable, uh, quality streaming partner and you know everyone will uh, easily have access to that, so that's good. But you know the deal's not signed yet, and which means that we could be looking at another uh, week or two of uh, our friends uh, east of the east of the uh, of the uh, Olympics uh, or Cascades. Why always Cascades? Yeah, uh, east of the Cascade, uh, Cascades not having uh, streaming a streaming deal. So that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It's an. It's definitely unfortunate, and um, I, I. But I. Yeah, like I said, like it's. Amazon is probably a, a, a good land. I mean, I guess it gives you some carrot to look forward to, I, I suppose. Um, the, the short-term pain is real. The long-term gain is, is equally real. Uh, I, my understanding is this would be a deal that would take them through at least 2022. Um, and I, I would imagine Amazon is probably going to be in the running for, for picking up the streaming rights to all of MLS after that. Yeah. And so maybe this, is, this ends up being like essentially a permanent solution uh, or effectively a permanent solution uh, but even through 2022 would be a big deal and just having the stability of being on one platform for uh 20 all the way through 2022 would be a pretty big deal like let's keep in mind east of, like the fact that the sounders have any fans east of the cascades is kind of remarkable when you consider that there's never been like aside from last year when youtube tv was theoretically available to everyone in the state there's never been a dedicated channel that would carry the Sounders every single week. And that's, you know, taking out the, the national broadcast, like Root, even at its best, was only broadcasting live, you know, a few matches a year because they just were lower on the priority list than, than other teams, including at times the Timbers. Uh, the, and it should be said, the Timbers are only, I think, only on Root seven times this year. So the idea that the Timbers are actually easier to watch in Eastern Washington than the Sounders is like 
barely accurate um, <laughs> and might not be accurate at all. That said, I don't want to like, it's still like, they got to get a better, like, they got to get the situation figured out. It looks like they are. It sucks that it's taking so long. I still don't entirely understand why they can't stream the games in the, in the near term. I didn't really, I, I haven't really got a straight answer on that. Uh, clearly they have the capacity. The games are being streamed. They're being streamed on, uh, on ESPN plus, just not in Washington. They're being streamed, uh, through uh, even through Lowcast, which, by the way, if you didn't know what Lowcast was before last week, I hope you know what Lowcast is now. Um, but basically, if you if you give them a five dollar donation a month, which I think is probably worth it, uh, you can watch everything that you would get theoretically over the air on through a digital channel, uh, like through something like Roku. I was I watched the game on Roku this last week, and it works really well. Um, and you can actually do it for free. It just kind of is a pain to deal with the constant reminders that they would like you to donate $5. Uh, but it, it did work. It, it worked. And um, yeah, anyway, so uh, I w that's my plug for getting the Lowcast app uh, for as long as it's legal, at least. Um, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts, exactly. But uh, Tim, did you just watch it like on regular TV? How did you even watch the game? I... Uh... Yeah, I spent all of last season, like, struggling to find a street. Just, like, finally bought an over-the-air antenna that just, like, connects through the, the coax port on my TV and... 10 seconds to set up and it worked perfectly uh and you can get them for like ten dollars so i was a little frustrated that it took me as long as it did to do that uh but yeah and it seems like there's with the number of like every channel now seems to have three different hd versions so get like a ton of random like now yeah, there's like 20 channels that you can get over the air. Now, granted, it's it's kind of like a line of sight issue. Uh, if you don't, like where I, my house is, um, apparently, like I can't reliably get Joe TV with a digital antenna, but um, I know a lot of people who can. Um, but yeah, it's there's just like 20 channels that you can get over the air theoretically in Seattle with the digital cable thing or digital antenna uh, situation. Uh, that said, uh, we don't know what the solution is for this weekend. That's kind of the, the pressing issue. My suspicion is that it's going to be the same situation that we were in last week. So I would probably recommend going to get something like Lowcast if you're uh, if you don't feel like spending ten dollars on a on a uh, on a on an antenna, or at least trying out an antenna and then trying out Lowcast as well, um, or like actually having cable. I suppose is also an option for you. Or uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's kind of where we are with this. We don't really. Houston, I don't know if we have much to say about Houston. They are not off to a great start. Uh, the Tab Ramos era uh, has been a little rocky. They, they did get a tie at home against uh, the Galaxy in week one, but then they were absolutely smashed by Sporting Kansas City last week. Um, not a particularly encouraging performance if you're a uh, Houston Dynamo fan. But uh, do we have any takes at all on the Houston Dynamo right now? 
uh, they're not very good <laughs> from what I, I didn't think they were going to be very good going into this year. And, you know, their early performances have borne that out. Um, you know, they picked up Darwin Quintero, who hasn't played. Uh, Albert Elise, uh, Elise, I don't think is going to be available for this weekend. Um, if that's the case, you know, Mario Minotas is a very good player. In fact, he's probably going to get sold at some point here, uh, either in the summertime or maybe in the winter. Um, but aside from him, they don't have a lot to speak of. Uh, so, I, I, you know, even if Ladero isn't fit to go 90 or start, you still, I, I still think the Sounders have more than enough to 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 handle them. You know, Houston is always a tough road trip, uh, but again, they're playing him at the ideal time of year, so it's not as if uh, the heat will be a factor in this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to add beyond that. Uh, definitely... yeah, I... Go ahead, Tim. Oh, I just, I mean, that's about as much as I had. I think Tab Ramos as a club team coach is certainly going to be an experience. He wasn't exactly awe-inspiring as a U-20s head coach. Uh, and I don't know that being in charge of a team like Houston Dynamo is going to be all that much better. Um, his U-20 teams did seem like they were frustrating to play against. So that is something to keep an eye on. But I don't think they should, you know, fingers crossed, don't think they should be too much of a an issue for the South team. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to, to add to any of that. Um, and that's probably a good place to, to kind of call this a show. Uh, this was the Sounder at Heart podcast, signing off uh, on behalf of Tim Foss Jr. and Mickey Turner. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, and uh, we will see you next time.